0: It can happen. Well, if you guys your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Galatians again. We're in chapter 5 still. I almost finished it. We'll finish it after I get back from Tucson. But uh, we'll be looking at verses 16 through 23 this morning. We're looking at the conquest of the flesh. See, freedom in Christ that Paul talked about last week in the passage, freedom in Christ contrasts directly with human freedom. See, Paul works to convince them, the Galatians, to avoid the human freedom of the law. The idea that you're free to do whatever you want, that's the human freedom of the law. And now Paul is showing them in this this passage how the the separation can happen every day. The spirit-filled life makes all the difference in our freedom. The spirit-filled life makes all the difference. Let me read this passage and then we'll dive into it. Starting with verse 16, Paul writes, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for true freedom in Christ to do what you've called us to do. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we would all still be trying to improve ourselves, make ourselves appealing to you please you in some way to get your attention but the holy spirit empowers us to live free as those who are already redeemed in jesus name i pray amen so it's kind of an introduction to this in in a sense You know, we've talked throughout the whole book of Galatians. Jesus is the source of justification. He's the one, by his death, burial, and resurrection, he makes us right with God. That's justification. He makes us just as if we hadn't sinned before God. He is the vessel of justification. He's the agent of justification. The Holy Spirit is the agent of sanctification. And all that is is a big fancy 50-cent word that says get better, be better, live better. The Holy Spirit is the agent of of sanctification. Jesus saves, and the Holy Spirit helps us live that salvation. So there's a a breakdown of how those two work together, and and in the course of this, Peter Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2, and one particular verse he he mentioned is Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I wanted to use that as kind of an introductory lead-off this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, listen to what he says, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is what he's called us to do. To be saved. Jesus is the boat. To, lead, to get us off of, to rescue us from the island of damnation. And the Holy Spirit is the wind that blows that boat across the sea to eternal life. So that's, that's one way you can think about these. And, and uh, I want you to understand this morning that this sermon really is about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, it is God the Holy Spirit. So it, when you hear the Spirit, don't think of it as an object or a puff of wind or a ghost. It is God, okay, in spirit form that indwells us. He moves us from self-efforts. He moves us from trying to make ourselves right with God by lists and laws and doings to the supernatural power to live for God and imitate Christ. See, God the Holy Spirit lives in every one of us who have believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Every believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit to live right, to do right, to be right. You're already right with God. Now in this life, live better, live differently. So that's, that's kind of a a definition of how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And I know as believers in Christ, sometimes we don't feel like we got any kind of spirit inside of us, but the Holy Spirit's there. And sometimes he's just waiting for us to stop and pray and seek him. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. The fact of the matter is, is that now we need to kind of ask the question, how does a believer defeat their human nature? Because that's what this this passage is really about, defeating the flesh and living by the Spirit. How do we do that? What part does the Spirit play in that victory? Well, Paul provides two points to, to keep clear in your mind when you're conquering the human nature. Human nature is not a good thing. Despite what people will tell you, despite what the world out there will tell you, human nature is not a good thing. It may look good, it may smell good, it may act good at times, but it is not an eternal good. And that's what Paul wants them to understand. First, we're gonna talk about that the conflict between our, our human nature and the Holy Spirit is very, very real. It happens. Look at verses 16 through 18 again. Paul writes, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, And the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In all the previous verses that we've talked about in the last several weeks, we've talked about freedom in Christ. We've talked about don't bite and devour one another. We've talked about standing firm. We've talked about running the race well. We've talked about faith expressed through love. We've talked about remembering what we believe. Yet the conflict between our human nature and our redeemed soul is real. It goes on every day. To gain ground or to succeed in that battle, we've not got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. You've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. It's not by might, not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4, six. I preached to Zechariah a few months ago, so hopefully you remember that. We need to walk in the spirit. It is a command from Paul here. It is a command from God because it's in God's word. So it is a command. Walk in the spirit. It's not a suggestion. It's not a holy, divine suggestion. It is a divine command. Walk. What does he mean by walk? Well, it's, it's kind of a, a euphemism or just a, a metaphor, but it's a deliberate act. When you walk somewhere, you're moving from point A to point B, you're making a deliberate act to move forward. Paul says that we should be walking always in the Spirit. It's not a one-time, okay, I walked in the Spirit, I'm good with God. No, it's an everyday event. Walking, this word is really kind of a present tense, ongoing thing you do every day. Walking in the Spirit. It's not a passive event. Not something we sit back and wait for the Spirit to show up and make us move or to make us walk. It's not that. It's an intentional act by us and the Spirit. Don't wait until I wait till the Spirit moves me. That doesn't happen. Not like, not like we think it does, and not like we want it to, maybe. See, Satan wants you to be stagnant. Satan wants you to sit back and wait and twiddle your thumbs until the Spirit moves you, because stagnant Christianity gets overcome by the active human nature. If you're sitting still for Christ, you're getting overcome by your human nature. Could be the could be the human nature of laziness in you. I don't know. But we, we want to understand that the conflict is real and Satan wants to use your human nature against you. And the two natures, they grapple and they oppose each other. Paul's making that clear. One wants this, one wants that, and they don't agree at all. The human nature still persists in our life as a believer in Christ. I would love to say that, tell you that, hey, you can have the Spirit and all your temptations will go away. But I'd be lying to you. Paul makes it very clear that these are just, it's a constant conflict. See, our redeemed soul, the soul that, that we have as a believer in Christ, it is fighting for rightness. It is fighting to please God and do what God has, has called us to do. But when it's uncontrolled, our human nature prevents the true freedom of the soul that I talked about last week. Freedom to do what, ex- what God expects, freedom to do what God desires, all of that is inhibited by our human nature, our sinful desires. It's a war. Now, Christ has won the ultimate war. I don't want you to think for a second you're still having to earn your way to heaven. Justification has happened. Jesus saves. The Holy Spirit just helps you live it. It is a war that's going on. And see, our flesh tries to put us back under that curse of the law. It says, no, no, you need to be better. You need to do these things to be right with God. Our, our flesh likes to be under that because it's a, it's a lie. It says, you can do what you want. Just go do these things and you'll be okay. Say these things and you'll be okay. And then you can do what you want. And, it, and, it, and we need to realize that our flesh is trying to, to put us back under the bondage of the law. And the flesh will call that freedom. How many times have you told yourself, hey, I'm free to do what I want? Yeah, when we, when we have a temptation, we're like, I'm free to do what I want. You are, but you're also free to do better. See, being led and guided and directed and controlled by the Holy Spirit, our souls are free from the world's wrong ideas of freedom. The Holy Spirit is teaching and guiding you in the right direction. Make no mistake, Christ makes it clear here, our physical bodies and our mind will always be warring against the Spirit, against what the Holy Spirit's way of life is. So you have to be accepting that there's a conflict going on and you have to discipline yourself and I'll talk about that in a minute. See, there's no truce ever between our human nature and the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's nature. There is no truce. Despite what the world tells you, oh, let's just get along, let's compromise and and do do what, you know, it's okay, it's not that big a deal. I mean, that's the world's lies. See, only those redeemed by Christ and indwelt by the Spirit can be led by the Spirit. Okay, the world is never led by the Spirit. The world and the unbelievers out there are never led by the Holy Spirit. They might be used by the Spirit, but they're never led by the Spirit. He's just using their their foolishness. Only those redeemed by Christ and indwelt by the Spirit can be led by the Spirit. So if you're a believer in Christ, you're not under a law of legalism. You're under the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. And the conflict is real and it is relentless. Okay, okay but it's winnable it's winnable one because the victory christ has already made for us but also there's ways we can live to win i want to try to illustrate this a little bit in the civil war lincoln fired six generals before he got to ulysses s grant he fired six of them you know why he fired them none of them took the conflict serious none of them thought it was that big a deal None of them thought that the vision of the Union was a big deal. They didn't, they didn't strategize, they didn't attack, they didn't go and win the war because they didn't take the conflict real. You know, before December 7th, 1941, and September 11th, 2001, Americans didn't take those threats real either. Some of us might have, but a lot of us. Didn't think there was a threat at all, a lot of Americans. See, in our own lives, do we believe the conflict is real? Do we believe the threat to our spiritual life is real? I hope you do. And are we fighting it by the spirit, or are we fighting it by our own efforts or ideas of what's right? See, here's how real it is. Paul gives three full chapters in the book of Romans to this whole conflict that's going on. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. We started with verse 11. I would love to read. Matter of fact, I thought about the whole sermon was going to be Romans 6, 7, and 8. But I said, no, I won't do that to them. Just me reading it. But I'm going to read a couple of small passages out of 6, 7, and 8 to help you understand that, that the Bible is full of passages that call us to fight against our human nature, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we have a role because we have a dilemma, but we also have a helper. Starting with Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, this is what our role is in this this battle. Starting with verse 11, he says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. That's our role. How many times he tell you to, to, to get after it? Don't let, don't let, do this. We have a role in this. We don't just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and, and hope it happens. Now, t- look over on, on uh, chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. Now, chapter 7, we all like chapter 7 of Romans because Paul really gets honest with us. He talks about his struggles with sin. Most of us put Paul pretty high up there as a very holy guy and he never struggled with anything, but he makes it really clear how much he struggled in chapter seven. And there's a reason chapter seven is between chapter six and chapter eight. It's, it's perfect for us to understand the role of the spirit, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Look at Romans chapter seven, verse 21 through 25. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Thanks be to God, we have a Savior. And Paul says, this is a struggle I have. There's a war going on, and Christ is the solution. And then look at Romans 8. Romans 8. The whole chapter is pretty much about living by the Spirit. So if you want a a full tutorial on what it means to walk in the Spirit, read Romans 8 a few times and and let, let it sink in. But Romans 8, starting with verse 8, Paul continues on. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. If I haven't made it clear this morning, the Holy Spirit lives in you if you believe in Jesus Christ. (laughs) please don't go out of here and and doubt that at all. He does live in you. He may be dormant. You may have suppressed him. You may not have used him, but he's there and he wants to help. So I hope you see, and, and I would encourage you sometime this week to go back and read Romans 6, 7, and 8 in its entirety. It is a great encouragement to your soul and also an instruction as well. So now I want to kind of answer three questions about what it means to live in the spirit or walk in the spirit. There's three questions here. This is kind of in the form of application. First of all, how do we walk in the spirit? I mean, it, it kind of sounds simple. I mean, I can walk without any real problem. I've been walking since I was probably one or nine months or something. I can't remember what my mom said, but I was ready to go. Anyway, walking is easily easy when it comes to physical walking, but walking in the spirit is another whole effort. Well, first of all, let me tell you what it's not. It's not an emotional or demonstrative action. Walking in the Spirit doesn't require you to be super emotional or super demonstrative with your expressions of worship or anything like that. There is a much more concrete impact in your life than just being able to wave your hands and and shout glory, hallelujah, which is nothing wrong with that, by the way. Anytime y'all want to jump in while we're singing and stuff, go for it. But it's not just... We don't just use the Holy Spirit for big decisions, either, or some major movement in our life. The Holy Spirit walking in the spirit is a daily, constant thing. The Holy Spirit assists us in our understanding of Scripture. He guides our mind to apply those truths. Now some of us are like, well, I've read verses and, and I don't understand them. We'll read them again. And again and again and if any of you I know some of you have been Christians for a long time and you read the Bible all your life pretty much and you realize I read that verse a year ago it didn't mean anything to me now it means something different that's the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit's using circumstances and situations around you to help you identify and understand and apply and the Holy Spirit will never ever 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 never ever lead you contrary to God's word okay so so some of the ideas we get sometimes about how, we, how we're supposed to do something, and we say, oh, the Spirit led me. But when you look in Scripture, it's like, no, I don't think so. We need to understand the Spirit doesn't lead us contrary to the Bible. Now, obviously, I'm going to admit to you there's some things in the Bible not covered, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you, he's definitely not going to lead you contrary to the Bible. So don't look for some vision or some dream or just some tingling sensation that's not what, kind of what we mean by walk in the Spirit. The Spirit sent by Jesus Christ, he teaches, he reveals, and he empowers us to obey God's word. That's what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. He comforts. I mean, you go through uh, John, the end of John, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus talks several times about the Holy Spirit. So how do we walk in the Spirit? It's a daily reliance on him and reading Scripture. Now, how are we sure that we are led by the Spirit? That's the second question. How are we sure that we are being led by the Spirit? Well, realize it's not by our own efforts that we realize this. I mean, a lot of times I look back and things and I go, that was the Holy Spirit. But at the moment, I might have just said something that sounded really smart, which then I should know, really, but said something really smart or really accurate or really scripturally sound, and I don't know where that came from. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. See, our efforts are in the fight, but sometimes our efforts are fall short. But with prayer, and prayer is the mainstay of walking in the Spirit. If you're reading your Bible, that's great. But if you're not praying, seriously praying, it's hard to stay walking in the Spirit. It's hard to really be sensitive, as they say, to the Holy Spirit. So giving serious time to prayer over Scripture over any and over any issue you're facing giving serious time to that is how we walk in the spirit how we make sure we stay in walking in the spirit read and pray to get there read your bible pray over it pray over the situation and 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 don't work yourself up in a tizzy trying to find a solution just because you prayed sometimes it takes a while sometimes it takes 40 days and 40 nights or even longer As testimonies all in, in this congregation right now of people who've prayed for someone to get saved for 15, 20, 25 years before it happened. Wait on the Lord and he will answer. So when you're in doubt whether you're following the Spirit, stop and pray. That's my biggest encouragement to you. If you're like, I don't know if this is the Spirit or not, stop and pray. Read your Bible. It may not relieve the doubt immediately and it may not answer the question immediately, but if you walk as a as a persistent means every day if you're walking that way be in you'll be in the spirit every day now how do we know what we should do under the spirit so how do we know we're kind of being led and what he's telling us well most matters of significant spiritual importance are covered in scripture so spend time looking it up do a word search do something find some come see me if you need a, a book on something or you need to know where to look Most matters are covered in in Scripture. A lot of the incidental issues that we face in life, like what kind of toothpaste to buy and what to eat for dinner today, leave it up to wise counsel, okay? You should have some, some common sense and practical reasoning for those kind of things. But if you don't, ask God for wisdom. And he will give freely to all, as James tells us. But if it's on a big issue and it's not necessarily coming clear in Scripture, seek counsel, Seek counsel, whether you seek it with me, whether you seek it with a counselor, a friend, a a parent, uh, someone you trust. Seek them on anything that you can't come to a solid decision on. There's nothing wrong with seeking counsel. God gives us each other for that very reason. And if your counselor doesn't lead you to pray, get a different counselor. Because he's got to start with that. She's got to start with that. Find someone who will pray with you. Walking in the Spirit is a discipline. I know we don't like that word, but that is a great word discipline. It keeps us in the the right path. Something that must be practiced to the very end, that's walking in the Spirit. Okay, so the conflict is real and we can walk in the Spirit. Now, let's talk about how we kind of see what happens when we walk in the Spirit or we don't walk in the Spirit or we don't have the Spirit. The Spirit versus the flesh, that conflict is going on, but the winning side can be clearly seen. That's point number two this morning. The results of spirit life spirit, the Spirit life are undeniable. Verses 19 through 23. Let me read them again to you. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. All right, there are two lists here. And I wish I had time to preach every one of these because we could really spend some time on them. But it's really not necessary. One of them is of works, something our human nature likes to do. We like to take credit for things, even sins. (laughs) One of them is of works and the other is of fruit. One's humans do, and the other the Spirit produces in believers only. Okay. Now you'll look at that quality, and you may say, "Well, I see some people that aren't Christians that act that way." Well, they're not fully fulfilling those attributes and those virtues, and I'll explain it a little bit. But let's look at list number one first, and I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to kind of give you a quick little definition of what these sins are. Okay. The, the specifics are too broad for me to capture in a sermon. I'll tell you this much: there are are four categories to this list. First category is the perversion of God's sexual order. The second category is of worship. That's two of those sins. The third category is eight of them, and it's social sins. And then the last one is an unrestrained lifestyle, and it has two of them. So there's some overlap in these sins. Let me just go through them really quickly here. Sexual immorality. Basically, the malfeasance of God's preferred and directed sexual behavior. That's what sexual immorality is. Misbehaving and and disobeying God's order of sexual activity. Moral impurity. Defilement and filthiness generated by sexual sin or physical, mental, or spiritual sin. Okay? Just being morally impure. Promiscuity. There's no restraint over sexual passions or perversions. It flaunts a sexual misconduct. That's promiscuity. Idolatry. Failure or refusal to praise God for his goodness. You're worshiping the creation versus the creator. Something as opposed to someone. God Almighty. Sorcery. Sorcery. An attempt to manipulate circumstances for selfish desire. You're trying to make the end come out. Sorcery. Turns from trusting God to trusting God. You're the world, trusting something you can maybe contrive on your own. That's sorcery. Hatreds. Now, this is the beginning of the social sins. Hatreds. Evil dislike at the root of discord among people. It seeks retribution or revenge. That's, that's hatreds. There's a lot more you could say about that, but it's the, an evil dislike that's at the root of discord among people. Strife. Focus on any contention, disagreement to create divisions or sides. I mean, people are always creating strife by focusing on one particular thing that they don't like. And it creates disagreements and it begins to create divisions. Jealousy. Anger or actions for self-glorification and the demise of others. Not just for your own self, but you want to put down others. Outbursts of anger. Uncontrolled temper. It leaves people wounded in the wake of your outburst of anger. It has a desire in it to harm, whether it's a emotional harm or even physical harm. Selfish ambition. Notice the word selfish in front of ambition. Ambition's okay, but selfish ambition's wrong. Deliberate grasp for honor and praise for oneself at the expense of all others. So you're deliberately trying to gain honor and praise for yourself and, and at the expense of other people. Dissensions. Dissensions. Creating division and fragmentation. In groups without seeking a resolution, without even wanting a solution. That's dissensions. Factions. Factions are results from dissension. Grouping to sides of the argument. There is no winner possible. It's usually when people start taking sides, and no matter how much you try to put the olive branch across the divide, nobody's accepting. Factions are terrible. And then envy. Coveting begins here, wanting what others have for yourself. The last two, which are the unrestrained lifestyle, drunkenness, overuse of artificial substances, and the behavior associated with that abuse. I mean, it's not just alcohol, so I don't want you to think that, but it's it's got all kinds of implications. Carousing is the pursuit of the uncontrolled use of substances with others. Your flesh is winning out when you're carousing with others. You're pursuing those abuses of an of a unrestrained lifestyle. And then Paul puts at the end similar acts. He does that to tell you it's not an exhaustive list. It's, it, just because you didn't find your sin on here doesn't mean it's not sin. The one thing you also can understand is none of the Ten Commandments are really listed here, but all 10 of them are broken here, okay? In one form or another, they're broken in some way. But the most important part that Paul puts on the end of this is the warning, warning about these if they're showing up in your life, you're probably not a believer. If they're showing up as a practice, and we're going to talk about that a little more in the application, it may mean you're not saved. And practice versus the norm, okay? So it's not normal for me to behave that way. I just did once. That's, that's what we have to deal with in our fight for the flesh. But if it's something that you're constantly pursuing, that's what Paul's talking about. He says it, it could very well mean that you are lost. So be careful there. Now let's look at list number two. This is our memory verse for this month. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Notice the difference in the two words. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. A fruit tree doesn't do it all by himself. He needs sunshine and water and fertilizer and bees and all kinds of stuff. The same thing with the, Holy, with the fruit of the Spirit. We need help. They're produced by a walk in the Spirit. These cannot be produced in the right way by unbelievers. Okay? They may may look like the fruit, but they're false fruit. They're they're not because they're not grounded in God. God's the definition behind these because they're fruits of the Spirit of God or God the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit cancels the vices if we're walking in the Spirit and produces the virtues that we're about to talk about. Love. Love starts with God's love for humanity, which is a big topic. And it feeds into our heart helps us fulfill God's law, which we talked about last week. And love defined in a practical outreaching standpoint for a believer is, is giving oneself for others to encourage and strengthen them to give themselves more fully to God. Love is meant to promote love for God in reality. However you're loving someone, it should be with that destination in mind, helping them love God more. Joy Believers are called upon to rejoice in all circumstances. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind. Well, we hate that passage in, in James 1, but uh, it's, it, we're called upon. Thus our sorrows in this life are mingled with joy because of God's grace. So joy is something we have. It's not happiness. It's not giddiness. It's not I'm you know jumping around, skipping, and kicking my heels up. It is a, a contentment that, that relies on we we know where our eternal destiny is. And then peace. Peace is only by the cross of Christ. Only by the cross of Christ can real eternal peace be found. It's more than no conflict. This peace is a contentment regardless of what's going on. Contentment. Patience. (laughs) boy patience enduring all of life's trials and turmoil without losing your love joy or peace or your equilibrium in Christ I know (laughs) that's a harsh definition it's a hard definition to live up to enduring all of life's trials and turmoil without losing your love joy and peace and the rest of the fruit kindness believers imitate Christ's kindness when generous to others but especially when we're extending benevolence and generosity to the unkind, to those who aren't so lovable, to those who can't repay us. That's that's the kind of kindness we're talking about here. Goodness. It's a life of moral beauty and decency that shines forth in a world that's, that's diseased by evil. Be good whenever you can. Do good whenever you can. That's goodness. Faithfulness. Led by the Spirit, people that are led by the Spirit, it's loyal and dependable. One can count on them to fulfill their promises, fulfill their responsibilities, fulfill their words. Faithfulness, led by the Spirit, loyal and dependable. Gentleness. Unbelievers should be treated and corrected gently in the hope that they will repent. That's why we need gentleness. Gentleness. It's easy to tell an unbeliever they're wrong because they don't believe in Christ. But being gentle with them and gentle with each other is very crucial to the Christian life. We don't need to be forceful or harsh. That is not the mark of the, of the, of the Spirit's work. Meekness and gentleness reflects a transformed heart, a changed heart. And then everyone's favorite, Self-control. Self-control is the restraint of the sinful nature. It's resisting the devil so that he will flee from you. Unlike those dominated by the desires of the flesh, you're restraining yourself. You're not going along with the crowd. You're not saying, well, that's, everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. That's, that's what self-control is. It's a control toward righteous living. That's what self-control really is. And see, believers are not called to, to summon up our strength to produce these, okay? Okay. I mean, these are, this, this is sometimes we, get, we list them like we're supposed to be doing this and we're trying to do this in our own strength. That is not the goal. Our way of life is supernatural. I said that from the beginning. Our way of life is supernatural. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He works in us. He moves in us to execute these things and to produce these things. So we must walk with him or else we're going to be a failure as our as a Christian in so many ways. See the law, he finishes up with the law is not against these. The law is lifeless. It's death producing. It tells you you're a sinner and that's as far as it goes. It doesn't do anything else for you. But the spirit of God living in us, willing us toward these results, that's life. That's freedom. The law can't produce and it can't restrict those things that we just listed. Let me try to illustrate this again. If if you ever played a sport or something and you were on the team and you played this sport, then I'm going to equate you to a believer. If you just like a sport, you're kind of like an unbeliever, okay? You're not really committed to it. You just like to watch it or whatever. But the thing about it is even on a team, the bench warmers are on the team. They may not be good enough to play. They may not have the skills. But they're constantly investing their time, effort, their ability to learn. They're investing it in that sport. Well, it's the same thing with these lists, okay? All believers will fight against the first list and practice the second list. That's what we do. That's how I know that you're on the right team. That you're actually engaged in that particular sport and how you're engaged in walking with the spirit. See, when the first list is rare in our life and the second list is frequent, we're winning the conquest of the flesh. We're winning the war. Jesus gave the same warning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 18 through 21. He says this, and I think this is important to know that Jesus was even talking about this. He says, "A, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Walking in the Spirit. If you can't even see in your life the second list, then there's a caution to beware, a caution to watch out. If you're walking in the Spirit, living out real freedom in Christ, following Christ as the author and finisher of our faith the second list will become apparent in time it'll grow practicing the first list means your soul is not aligned with Christ okay you're not led by the spirit and your salvation is in doubt so what does practice really mean Paul uses the word specifically here those who practice these things so what does practice really mean well, let me give you a definition of what practicing sin really means. Practice means a repeating sin habit that you never repent of or confess or seek to eliminate from your life. If you just keep saying, that's my weakness or that's my thorn in my flesh, and you never try to get rid of it, you never repent of it, you never confess it, you never try to stop making it a habit, that's practicing. And you can see a whole passage in 1 John chapter 3 about the same concept. Those who are justified by God's grace are also empowered by the Spirit to live in a new way. This is my word of encouragement to you this morning. All of us who are believers in Jesus Christ are empowered to overcome these sins. May not be permanent. Past sins, past sins will get us and come back on us at times. But if you're repenting and confessing and working toward putting things in your life to keep those sins out. You're living as justified by God's grace. If the works of the flesh dominate your soul. Then heaven's probably not your home. And the conflict between the flesh and the spirit is very strong in your life. You shouldn't think you're a Christian. If that conflict is always there and you're really struggling with some particular sin, don't think you're not a Christian because you're struggling with a sin. As long as you're struggling with a sin, you're working toward walking in the spirit. We just have to do a little more work if you're having to struggle with that. If you're engaged in a struggle against sin, then rest assured your soul is indwelt with the Holy Spirit because you would not have the desire to fight against that sin if you didn't. See, believers live like this. They live putting out effort toward fighting sin, disciplining themselves, not waiting for something to move me to change my life or it just to be magically gone. Christians are always putting themselves in, the, in, a, in a disciplined situation. And our attitude towards sin is probably the best indicator of whether we're walking in the Spirit or not. Because when you're confronted by a sin and you have a a defensive reaction, that kind of sends some warning flags up for me. Which list is dominant in your life is what I would ask. Which list is dominating your life? Don't ask yourself because you'll tend to be easy on yourself. We're all soft on ourselves. Ask someone you trust. What do they think? What list here do they see coming out of your life expressed by your faith? Those results reveal everything that you need to know. Pray to fulfill the second list more. That's what I would say. So don't take the conflict lightly as I sum up this morning. Don't take it lightly. It is going on right this very minute in some of your hearts right now because it goes on in mine constantly too. It is going on. But look to produce the fruit. Look to produce that fruit, that second list, not by works, but by the Spirit. You need to fill your life up with the virtues, not the vices. You know, around here we have uh, some black wood ants, I've discovered, and they eat the inside of a tree out and you never would know. Several trees have blown over in my yard, in my neighbor's yard, and they're hollow as can be, but the tree looks green and strong. Our Christian life can be like that if we're not fighting against the nature of the flesh, if we're not trying to get rid of the sins in our heart Our life may be a hollow Christian life, not completely filled with Christ. So believer, you have the spirit right now. You should get that this morning. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Give him control of every aspect of your life. And I know very well that there are places in our hearts that we go, oh, but God, do I really want to give that to you? Give it up. Trust me, you'll be more happy that you did than than if you don't. Pray for a chance to display the fruit. Pray pray for a chance for that fruit to come out in a way that you may never have seen in your life. He gives you chances every day, believe it or not. Every day. In the lobby on the welcome desk, I have a a few copies of a booklet that will help fight away this sinful nature. It's just a a, a small booklet on, on your conscience. If you want to come this morning and talk to me about being a full partner in our fellowship, come see me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. Now, if your life is full of those works of the flesh, if, if you have no idea whether you're producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and self control, come talk to me. I'd love to set you straight. Because Jesus will forgive you by faith. And faith says with conviction, I trust you, Jesus, you, your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation, for the forgiveness of my sins. I need to be forgiven. Those things that he read in the first list describe my soul. I need to be forgiven. You can trust Him. You can have faith in Him. You can repent and put behind you everything else that is distracting you and trying, you're trying to depend on for making yourself right with God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Spirit. Without it, we would be lost. Without it, we would be weak. Without it, we would not be able to execute the fruit of the Spirit, to, to have those come out of our lives may we give you more time and energy and effort toward that. I pray, God, for your help in finding out if we're producing list one or list two. And may our souls seek to be more aligned with the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.